You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. Welcome in to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas from BleacherReport.com, and joining us, as always, from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com, it's your friend and mine, Ben Folks. Ben, let's cut straight to the chase, the topic that inquiring co-main event podcast minds have no doubt been pondering over for the last week. Uh, you went to a grapplers tournament this past weekend in beautiful Butte, Montana. How did it go? Went all right. Now, wait, did, you competed, though, right? Yeah, I did, competed. I did you win? I won some. Uh, well, what does that mean? You well, won it was some. A, it was a submission-only tournament, uh, and as I'm sure it will not surprise you, in Montana, just tough to get enough people together to really do it the way they do it at, like, Grappler's Quest in Vegas or something. Um, so, like, I showed up to do the men's advanced division in no-gi. I was going to do gi and no-gi, but I kind of cranked my neck pretty good in doing no-gi. Uh, and, you know, they have, like, the weight classes thing, and it's, like, my weight class goes up to, like, 189, and I weigh, like, 184, so I figured I was probably in a pretty good situation there. But then we get there, and there's just not that many dudes in the men's advanced thing, so it's basically, you know, me and, like, some dudes who are, like, 220. Um, Free-for-all, in other words. It's like yeah. the Wild West old days there you of, go. of the UFC. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I didn't get submitted by anybody. I submitted one guy, fought to... Uh, a draw in three other matches, two of which I was winning and was really kind of like one of those matches where I was like, man, I wish we had points. And then another one where I was lucky to survive and I was really glad we didn't have points. Um, but uh, So you're telling me that your style is a sort of grind out a boring decision. I guess it is. I, I need to get better at submitting people. That was the thing that this tournament taught me. Because I had the first guy I went with, I had him in like three different arm bars and uh, – like the kind of arm bars where I was like, is this dude's arm going to break? But he did not seem concerned and because he knew something that I didn't about his arms. Uh, so yeah. He was double-jointed. Maybe. Was that who what knows? it was? Who knows? But I did I did go against the dude who won uh, the men's advanced division and then won the, the purple belt uh, gi division. Uh, a dude referred to locally here in the Montana scene simply as Caveman uh, really lives up to his moniker. That dude is terrifying to go against. As soon as we tied up, I was like, well, shit. Uh, and then I spent the next six minutes just surviving. Let me ask you the only question that I really care about and should have asked you straight off the top. Did you get a medal or a trophy or some kind of participation T-shirt? You know, somehow I didn't get anything. And it's it's weird, too. Like, I didn't play somehow, even though I submitted the guy who got third uh, and pretty much soundly was dominating the dude who got second. Only the dude who got first was totally better than me. Um, it but I didn't get sounds like, like many competitors in this style event you are not sure about the rules yeah well also one of the dudes i went with who is a guy from here in missoula got hurt during the match um like like his knee popped right next to my ear and it was one of those things where like well that was bad uh so uh i think i probably didn't get any points for that since the dude got injured during the match sounds like mma math to me man who knows well, enough about you. This week's co-main event podcast, as usual, comes to you in three rounds. In round number one, much of Bellator 106 underwhelmed us on Saturday night, but then Eddie Alvarez and Michael Chandler did not. If you missed it, you missed it. 
And in round number two, Wednesday, 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 from Fort Campbell, Kentucky, it's UFC Fight for the Troops 3, where they'll sell you the whole seat, but you're only going to need the edge. It's going to be insane. Oh, Jesus. I, man, I tried my best. That was actually pretty convincing there for a while. Did I have you going? Like, yeah. you actually wanted to watch this show? Yeah. All right. Almost. I was in, almost there. In round number three, it wouldn't be a Dan Henderson versus Vitor Belfort type far- fight without Belfort saying a bunch of Dumb stuff about TRT, now would it? All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but first, like we always do about this time, let's do some listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Dan O. He writes, I'm guessing this week's topics will be centered around Bellator's ability to fuck up an almost unfuckable situation. He's pretty right about that uh so i'll ask another of the cme's favorite topics steroids i'm sure you've heard by now that the countdown to josh barnett's inevitable steroid bust has begun the nsac has volunteered volunteered him to take part in that special randomized wada testing they were trying to force on gsp uh what's most surprising to me is that this situation is the is about the situation is the ufc's willingness to pay for testing that could very likely result in a canceled fight uh, how much arm twisting did the NSAC do to get the UFC to go along with this? And who would have picked up the tab if not the UFC? Can the NSAC single out a guy and force him to pay $20,000 for testing out of his own pocket? Do you think that this is the first step in the right direction or more of a one-time deal? Is this the is this the one-time good thing to come out of the whole GSP Johnny Hendricks debacle? Can I fit any more questions into this list? No, Dan, I don't think you could. That's a lot of questions. All right, let's talk about this. Now, see, we th- this is a, a, a prevailing opinion about Josh Barnett, and it's understandable, right, because of his multiple previous uh, steroid busts. Multiple. Multiple. However, whenever we talk about the guy, I feel like I always make the point, if there's anybody in this sport that at this point you got to believe is clean, it's got to be Josh Barnett, because if he's still out there using, and if he gets caught by this special randomized WADA testing, uh a bunch of MMA fans are probably going to burn his house down or something. Like, <laughs> you know, he's just done. He's he's dead. I, I agree with you. To play devil's advocate, I would say the same thing about. You ever see that thirty for the ESPN thirty for thirty about uh, uh, the SMU football program? I don't uh, think I've seen that, but I'm familiar with the, where, the story of the SMU. Yeah, football where team. like there are repeated recruiting violations, and that was what people were thinking when they were on like some kind of like s- severe suspension for paying players, and then they got busted while on that suspension and people or on the probation or whatever uh and people are kind of saying the same thing like you'd think if anybody was gonna like run a clean program at that point it would be these guys but they as they explained the thing they kind of got into a situation where once you've been doing it long enough you can't easily stop doing it like you had these players that you got them to go there by telling them you were going to pay them money and they were like where's my money at so they figured okay we'll just keep paying these guys it could be that uh, performance-enhancing drugs for some guys are like that because if you're taking them, you know, you might mess up your own natural hormones. Your body's endocrine system uh, might not respond well to it. And then you might feel like you have to keep taking them just to stay where you're at. I mean, we seem to, like, look at Alistair Overeem who seemed like he stopped taking them and it hasn't gone well for him. Uh, I'm not saying that that's what go- what's going on with Josh Barnett, but... That is one explanation for why even dudes who've been popped multiple times and under high-profile circumstances might still be tempted to use. Do we think that this is a step in the right direction or more of a one-time deal? I would say that any increased drug testing in the sport of mixed martial arts is a step in the right direction, although this also does strike you as sort of a one-time deal uh, just because of Barnett's 
history with, with, with steroid positive tests and things like that. However, it does seem like the Nevada State Athletic Commission over the last couple of years has kind of stepped their game up in this regard to the extent that it can. Uh, you know, the, the Nevada State Athletic Commission, obviously uh, one of the, the most powerful and, and probably best funded athletic commissions in the country, although it's still a government entity and still has to exist uh in a, in a, a state like Nevada, which is which is uh, uh, I think it's a, I think Nevada is a swing state, but sure. uh, but uh, sure it uh, it's you know it's it's part of the the conservative uh, block there in the middle of the West, and uh, so they're probably reads from Nevada. They're they're probably uh, not the 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 best funded part of the Nevada state government. Uh, they have their own limitations, clearly, which we always talk about. Uh, but but it's nice to see them kind of like uh, going out and, and, and doing some more aggressive drug testing like they did when they popped uh, Robert Drysdale a, yeah. a week or so ago. Well, yeah, and that one I think is a, a good example, too, of a situation where uh, the change is not just the increased drug testing, but like there's a guy who applied for a therapeutic use exemption and didn't get it. Uh, and I think that probably has to do with uh, the pressure that the Nevada Commission and the UFC of general, I think that they're starting to feel that pressure from fans in the media about testosterone use. And I think like that one's a situation where the guys who are already on it and have those TUEs, they don't feel like they can go and yank that away from them without causing a controversy. But they seem to be kind of hanging up the no vacancy sign on that stuff and don't seem to want to add any users to the roles. Um, but there's one where he, he tell the guy he can't have a therapeutic use exemption, and he says, you know what, I decided I don't need it anyway. And they say, hmm, drug test. Uh, which, yeah, why wouldn't you? And the same thing with Josh Barnett, where, yes, it's a step in the right direction. I'm glad, any, as you said, any increased drug testing is good. But if you have to fail three drug tests before we finally start doing that, that's not necessarily terribly encouraging. And one of the things about the Drysdale test uh, that we were talking, you and I were talking about, uh, uh, you know, last week, is that uh, for all the people that that continue to beat the drum about how, oh, these guys are just on testosterone replacement therapy to get their levels up to normal, right? So they're not, as Vitor Belfort would say, competing at a disadvantage. Yeah, just want to be healthy. And then you go and you test Robert Drysdale at a time when he doesn't think he's going to get tested, and he pops like, what was he like? 20 to one or something like that. Close or, to that uh, yeah. uh, he basically, there was more testosterone in his urine sample than there was urine. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, that just goes to show you that, that, that uh, to believe that these guys aren't trying to, to game the system or, or to get an advantage somehow, boy, you got to swallow an awful lot at this point. Yes. And uh, judging by the emails I get every time I write about TRT and particularly Vitor Belfort's TRT, there are some fans out there who are willing to tell themselves whatever they need to just enjoy some people getting kicked in the head without having to worry about it. The next piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Doug Dixon. He writes, would love to hear your thoughts on Pat Kern's blatant illegal knee against Daniel Strauss. While the lost point didn't totally figure into the outcome, I can't recall another time when I saw a champion commit such a thoughtless and costly error. Curran never really seemed to recover mentally. Also, how weird was it that the Bellator broadcast then continued to refer to Curran as a quote-unquote cerebral fighter even after the foul? That was weird. It was weird. Uh, and, and yeah, I think this is a good point about Pat Curran. Pat Curran did... Uh, Certainly, from the outside looking in, appear to have committed this ridiculous uh, uh, mental gaffe against Daniel Strauss, which clearly, as soon as he did it, Pat Curran, he he knew what he'd done and uh, literally covered his face with his hands and kind of walked away. And then it, it did seem to 
uh, mentally affect Pat Curran in a really obvious way for the rest of the fight. He never really seemed to to put it back together after that. And 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 while the you know the 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 emailer here is right that in the end uh, the the point didn't really affect the outcome of the fight because Daniel Strauss had 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 built up his own lead. Uh, but at the same time, like who knows? It just seemed like Pat Curran. Uh, kind of got uh, thrown out of his game and never really got back into it. You know, though, it's one of the seeing his reaction to that uh, makes me, for one thing, understand how something like that could happen. Uh, even to like a guy who is an experienced fighter where you're just in there fighting, trying to hurt the other guy uh, and you see an opportunity. And before you can really stop yourself or remember what the rules are. You're just trying to, you know, knock that dude unconscious. And so you do something like that uh, and then immediately realize, oh, man, I fucked up. Uh, you know, you could see that in him. And also, it makes me think of other instances where somebody has committed such a blatant foul. Like, I'm going to say Michael Bisping's totally blatantly illegal knee on uh, Jorge Rivera, where that's one where afterwards where the dude walks over and spits at the corner that's like the complete opposite of like putting your hands over your face right. in, in shame and, and frustration. Yes. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. And, and like, I do, this was the, this is as the, the emailer here says, I can't recall like a, a, a foul happening in a, in a championship fight uh, at this level, you know, by the champion that seemed uh, as weird and costly and blatant to me. It was just like a very strange turn of events in, in that fight. And I, But I think you're right that it does make you understand how those kind of things happen during a fight, especially with that particular rule where, like, in the heat of the moment, you're trying to figure out, all right, is this guy's knees down? Like, does he have a, a hand down? Is he on his way up? Like, what's the deal here? So, yeah. uh, again, just kind of a, a weird rule and uh, one that, that certainly uh, sets the stage for events like this to take place, just because it's oftentimes hard to, to figure out in that exact moment what, what the other dude is up to. The next piece of listener mail this week, the last piece comes from Bailey, who I assume is not uh, Julie Kedzie's dog, Bailey. We, I don't think we can assume that. But, for all uh, we know, uh, Bailey, a big fan of the show. He, she, or it writes, uh, you guys see where Johnny Hendricks got the shit burned out of him filming a commercial for, or some bullshit? Okay, that's definitely Julie Kedzie's dog. <laughs> Come on. Who does he sue for that mess? Discuss. Yeah, wow, that was uh, that was ugly and unfortunate uh, on the verge of Johnny Hendricks's shot at the welterweight title <laughs> for him to uh, suffer second-degree burns while filming a commercial. Okay, wait, he's an independent contractor, right? So I don't know, does it count as workers' comp in that situation? Could you file a workers' comp claim? You'd have to ask a lawyer about that. I imagine you probably could, although... Again, we're in the situation. Get your wife down here. The old, the the age old question, man, who gonna sue the UFC or whatever, <laughs> man? Well, I hope at least, at least that now on the set of UFC commercials, the board that says days since an accident, <laughs> like it's now it's at like four or something. You know, I hope at least they feel that shame having to come into work every day and look at that board. Because that is some ridiculous shit, man. How are you going to burn one of the fighters from the main event while filming this uh, commercial for the main event? Like, you can't damage one of the only two people who can make this thing work in your commercial for that thing. You just can't do it. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. 
And after the picture that that I think he posted himself on Twitter, boy, you can't really think of a worse place to get burned than you're about to go fight George St. Pierre, of all people, inside a chain link cage. Chances are that back shoulder area is going to spend some time up against the fence, all over the mat. Well, maybe we can reach a gentleman's agreement in this fight, like leave his burned shoulder alone. The other shoulder is fair game. Leave the burned one alone. Yeah. Do you think that Johnny Hendricks and George St. Pierre can enter into a gentleman's agreement for no takedowns? <laughs> Just to try to spare Johnny Hendricks the, the, the pain and suffering of rolling around on the on the mat? How about no takedowns and... Uh, they each only get to use their left hand. I like only it. left sees. Or maybe this is a situation where George St. Pierre comes out with this with those hand wraps and, and covers them in wax and then puts broken glass all over the back of the of the hand wraps, like in uh Blood Blood Sport. I feel like that probably wouldn't be allowed. You think that might violate a in Montreal, maybe. You might get away with that in Montreal. In Nevada, no. No, Keith Kaiser's he's all over there. He knows the old broken glass and the hand wraps trick. Yeah, in Texas, they hand those things out backstage. Uh, well, that's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have a question, comment, concern, grievance that you'd like to air to the Co-Main Event podcast, you know how to get a hold of us. You can go to the website, comainevent.com, click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast, and that will get you in touch with us. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Bellator 106 started out fun, but boy, did it drag down the stretch there. Uh, Kind of a reminder of how those old UFC shows on Spike TV used to start to feel with the copious commercials for the same video games and the same motor oils just over and over and over again. And then on top of it, for this show, a thousand commercials for other Bellator shows that we are totally not going to watch. Yes, you are. Come on. You were sold. But then, Ben, Eddie Alvarez and Michael Chandler came out and blew the tops of our fucking heads clean off with their awesomeness. Uh, was this the fight of the year for you, or is there another one out there that you like better? Seriously? We're ser- you're seriously talking about this for fight of the year? Good fight, but come on. Eddie Alvarez thought it was the fight of the year. Okay, yeah, and Bjorn Rebney said it was the greatest fight he'd ever seen. Well, there you go. But come on. Those are authorities on the subject. I'm going to say this. This, is, this might sound at first like it's a burn on Eddie Alvarez and, and Michael Chandler, but it's actually... A compliment. That's not even the best fight those two dudes have had. <laughs> I mean, it was a good fight, but I thought the first one, uh, which was definitely a fight of the year candidate, if not the fight of the, that year, uh, the first one was better, I thought. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Although I think that the second one was also a great fight. It was. I would go one better than good fight and say great. And okay. also, I'll, frankly, I'll along with that. Uh, exactly the fucking fight that Bellator needed right then because we had just sat through... Uh, I don't want to say three stinkers because I don't know that Pat Curran and, and Daniel Strauss was, was totally a stinker, but man, that Joe Riggs, uh, fight master finale was bad. And then the, uh, the King Mo Emmanuel Newton fight was also hard to watch. And yeah, when you're doing a display of spinning shit, when you're doing three somewhat lukewarm decisions, one right after the other w- with all of those commercials for rise and, uh, 
and Valvoline or whatever the hell it is, that gets long, real long. And, uh, it was, it was, uh, it, it seemed to me like it was a setup for Michael Chandler and Eddie Alvarez to come out and kind of underwhelm, uh, because, when you're sitting there watching it, it seems like everything's going bad for Bellator. They have no momentum, and you think that there's no possible way Michael Chandler and Eddie Alvarez are going to have a fight that is near as good as their first one, and they come out and have another crackerjack. I think to their credit, yeah, you know, and that I had considered that beforehand too. That because how many times do we see that happen where guys will have an awesome first fight, and we think, all right, let's just book it again, just you know, start it over round six, uh, and I feel like more often than not you get disappointed just because there's that certain kind of magic that happens sometimes that you just can't necessarily recreate, like trying to rematch Forrest Griffin and Stefan Bonner. Um, but you know, you're right. This was one where, uh, those two dudes came out there and put on an awesome fight and also proved that goddamn, are they just by far the best fighters Bellator has going for it right now? Yes. Yeah. And not just like the best lightweights, but like, the best fighters. Yeah. Period. And and especially that it shows and by it, a wide margin. Like when you compare them on the same card where this was where Bellator's kind of throwing everything but the kitchen sink out there, right? Everything but T Ortiz and his garbage neck are out there. Pile of trash. Pile of trash, sorry. Uh every you know, that's the the problem with loading up this one show uh with what you feel is the the best you've got, is then if we come away being like well, that's the best you got. That wasn't that great, except for these two dudes. And they can't fight each other every weekend. They right. just simply can't. Which is too bad because, uh, like we talked about last week, I think that this was a chance for uh, Bellator to really kind of show what it had in front of a uh, what we think, at least, is going to be a, a – you know, a, a more robust audience than it normally gets in that Spike TV time slot. And it was a, a chance for them to kind of hook people and get them to come back next week for the uh, Czech Congo, uh, whoever Czech Congo was fighting fight. I think that's actually on the poster. That's ne- what it says. Next week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just like a little cutout outline. Like when in a, in a it's dark, like, a, the, like a dark thing with a question mark over the guy's face. <laughs> Uh, and, and, you know, for much of the show, it didn't really do that. It didn't really establish very much momentum, which is a thing that I don't fully want to blame Bellator for, uh, because we've seen this kind of stuff happen to the UFC too. Yeah. It's not really their fault. Yeah, you, you can make the fights, but you don't, you, you don't get to decide exactly how they go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You put together a stacked card and sometimes it just kind of comes out and underwhelms. Uh, and so I, I thought in that, in that regard, it was also pretty important that, Eddie Alvarez and Michael Chandler came out and reiterated that they are awesome. Uh, Hopefully people are still watching by that because that's something like, and as you mentioned before, and I think you, you made mention of it in your, uh, your story on bleach report still feels weird to say that, uh, that it was like over a little over three hours into three the show. Three hours and six minutes. Yeah. Uh, we, when, when they came on. And you know it's long when I'm paying attention because I know I'm putting that in my story. <laughs> so I'm watching the clock to say, okay, they started this shit at 10.06 in the uh, one true time zone. Yeah. And especially when you can look at the card and know like, all right, we've got three title fights on there. Three, that's three potential five rounders. That's a lot of fighting we could end up with tonight. So... Let's get through this shit. Let's not waste our time with like backstage interviews and stuff, which are always going to be crappy. You know, this just you don't try and go out there and interview Mo Lawal before he's supposed to fight. That's just not going to work. Yeah, I mean, at the same time though, like you're still on Spike TV, which is 
It's almost like one of the perks of being second best. You're on Spike TV, so if your show runs a half hour over, the worst thing that happens is that you preempt the start of world's craziest police chases. No, absolutely not, for sir. For 30 minutes. We, we, are we not a society? It's, and it's, and it's just like, it's, it's also the same perk of when Tito Ortiz injures his pile of trash neck a week before your pay-per-view. You have the option of jumping off pay-per-view and going on spike because the only thing that they have to do is shorten their cops marathon from four hours to two hours. Unacceptable. Uh, and, and in a way that, that gave Bellator like some kind of cool freedom about this card in a way that like, I don't even know if the UFC could pull that off at this point. Like if they, if they needed to reschedule a pay-per-view, do you think that Fox would be like, Oh, that's, it's cool, man. We got nothing going on tonight on Fox TV on Fox Sports <laughs> one. Go ahead. Move your three hour show from pay-per-view over here. We'll just tell Regis to go home. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That, that's a good point. Uh, but you know, one of the things that I like when you look at this fight, especially the, the Eddie Alvarez, Michael Chandler fight, right? You know, as soon as that one is over, you're going to have to do the rubber match, right? Like, right. you know that that's going to have to happen. Like, just everybody's hands are tied on the matter at this point. What do you do once that's over in your Bellator, right? Like, you, even if you got these two guys and if we recognize that they're both far and away the best guys you got. They do the trilogy thing, and then you got to find something else to do with whoever comes out still champion after after that one. I mean, it's got to be about more than just those two dudes, right? And that I think is one of the 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 what is going to be one of the eternal problems of being Bellator, uh, and it's almost one of the the best reasons why Bellator maybe should forget about trying to do pay per view events for the immediate future because you're always going to be in this situation where. Uh, your stars are few and far between, and if you have one, like Eddie Alvarez, for example, he's probably going to try to bolt and go to the UFC as soon as he possibly can. So you're sort of stuck in this position where you have to try to develop stars on your own through your show on Spike TV, or you have to sign these UFC cast-offs that they've been kind of signing this year. And... uh I don't think either of those is a tremendous winning situation if you're Bellator, although I would say, in my personal view, I prefer the former. Like, I actually kind of like the idea, the idea that Bellator, uh, I don't want to say knows its place, but like kind of the idea that Bellator knows its place, that it, it develops these, these stars on Spike TV, guys that we haven't heard of before. And it just is the, the MMA promotion that puts on solid fights between, uh, dudes that, that eventually become sort of synonymous with the Bellator brand. Uh, and, and that, if you are interested in making money, obviously puts you in a tough situation because I don't think pay-per-view is a, is a real viable option for you. But at the same time, like, that's not so bad being that promotion, being the second biggest MMA promotion in America. Basically, what you're advocating for is that they kind of take the same approach as uh, RFA, Ed Soros's Resurrection Fighting Alliance, where he says that they want to be the place like where fighters establish themselves before going to the UFC and guys on the way down kind of make a pit stop there. But you're saying like basically they want to be like RFA Platinum. Yeah, like, like the all. RFA black card, like okay. I RFA VIP. Yeah, uh, RFA premium. Yes, premium. Well, and and like be honest, wasn't Bellator more likable in in the years prior to this one where that's what it was? That was what they tried to do. All they did was put on fucking solid fight shows every week and uh the, before they started signing the Czech Congos of the world and and trying to twist Eddie Alvarez's arm to get him to stick around, like 
I thought Bellator was far more likable when it was sort of content yeah, to but be you didn't that watch fight it. promotion. You didn't. You were you were liking it like in theory. You weren't liking it in front of the TV, right? And that whereas I get, you watched this one, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a solid point. And I guess that's one of the reasons why it's 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 hard to be Bellator, and one of the reasons why maybe pay per view is not the way they want to go. However, though, let's let's talk about this uh, in the immediate aftermath of the post fight press conference. I think it was uh, Bjorn Rebney said. Chandler Alvarez three is quote unquote almost a shoe in for pay-per-view. It seems like, you know, it's clearly it's going to be their best, most marketable fight. Try short of, I guess, trying to put on Tito Ortiz against Rampage, Rampage Jackson again. Please. God, uh, no. My question, Ben, if for you is if they put it on pay-per-view, would you buy it? You know, I went over this question uh, with friend of the podcast, Danny Downs in our uh, now weekly feature on MMA junkie about, you know, is that one fight worth buying? And, and and Danny's point, which I think was a good one, is that you know in MMA we are con- we're conditioned these days to think about that we're buying the main card, we're not buying the main event, right? Uh, and so a lot would have to depend on what Bellator can throw on there. But then if you look at the results of this one and think about how that that might affect the next one, what are you going to tell me like, oh yeah, the co-main event, Emmanuel Newton and Attila Vey. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that also, that doesn't exactly, you know, up the value of it to me. And well, Uh, that's one of the reasons why I thought that most of this undercard last night was, uh, not good for Bellator because it, you know, when, when Emmanuel Newton pulls an upset, Daniel Strauss pulls an upset and not just, not just pull upsets, but like did it in like kind of, unimpressive fashion, right? That doesn't make you want to tune in to see these guys you've never heard from before again. I, I'm more interested in seeing Daniel Strauss. I thought that that was... Yeah, he looks like he, he looks like a, a, a solid talent. And but you know, at the same time, back to this question of would you buy the pay per view? I also feel like if you got Alvarez Chandler three as your main event, Bellator can put together a undercard that's not inoffensive to the buyer, right? They could <laughs> they could put together a card where that one's going on the poster. Where you, <laughs> the media called it not inoffensive to the buyer. Uh, they could put together a card where if you looked at it and Chandler Alvarez three is the main event, you know, maybe throw Daniel Strauss on there. Maybe you throw Rampage Jackson against somebody. Maybe you throw King Mo on there and is in, in a, in a comeback fight. If I looked at that card, I'd be like, all right, man, I'll, I'll pay 35 bucks to watch that or whatever. I'm not going to pay you 54 99 to watch an HD, but you know, I would pay a, a reasonable price to watch that pay-per-view. Yeah, I feel like we had the reasonable price conversation a while ago and had the faintest glimmer of hope that Bellator might heed that. And then we saw how that one was going to go. They were going to ask you to pay 45 bucks. Right, yeah. Well, which I assume, I don't know that Bellator is totally in control of that either. I don't think you get to kick open the door at uh, whoever (laughs) runs pay-per-view and be like, here's what we're doing, motherfucker. Four fights, 1999. Boom! Bellator has spoken. I don't know. You know, Invicta got to do, uh, you know... Okay. Well, there you go. Actually, I I had not thought of this previous to you just saying that at this moment, but isn't sort of like that kind of what Bellator should probably do is like a Ustream uh, Invicta model. Maybe not for Chandler Alvarez 3, but for like, instead of trying to do regular pay-per-views on actual TV, like, you know, you got, you got Rampage against Attila Vey or whatever the hell is going to happen, uh, or Emmanuel Newton versus Attila Vey. Maybe put that on Ustream for five bucks and see what happens. I don't know. Maybe that one. But if you get Tito Ortiz in there, how am I going to appreciate his pile of trash neck if it's not in HD? Crystal clear HD on my, on my screen. 
Come on, man. No, I know. Uh, coming into this fight, Eddie Alvarez, obviously, as it's been talked about pretty widely, in a weird contractual situation with Bellator, uh, where uh, they had reached a settlement in their in their legal wrangling. That, uh, as far as I know, the settlement was not public. However, we all sort of seem to know the the details of that now. Uh, it seems like what what we've been led to believe, and and what the uh, you know what people are pretty confident was the situation was that if Eddie Alvarez came into this fight with Michael Chandler and lost, that he would immediately be a free agent again, and if he won, that he would be a uh, he would be the champion, obviously, and he would owe Bellator one more fight. Uh, obviously, probably the rubber match against. Uh, Michael Chandler. Um, and that's just a weird situation for a dude to be in, right? Because we, we largely assume he didn't want to be there anyway. And uh, obviously, Eddie Alvarez is the kind of dude that's never going to throw a fight. He's clearly going to go out there and give 130,000% all the time. Uh, but at the same time, one of my worries going into this fight was if if that was the deal, like, would that like subtly undermine the uh the mindset for this fight where like maybe it's round number four and michael chandler is on top of you punching you in the face and uh is there something deep down in your brain's heart where you're like you know what fuck this and you're in your brain's heart deep down in your brain's heart you know uh, like you said i think that uh the stuff that is deep down in eddie alvarez's brain's heart uh is the kind of stuff that when some dude is punching him uh he's just trying to think about how to get up and punch that dude back I think that's more likely to happen when he has to flip onto autopilot. Uh, I don't, you know, I can't see him going through that calculation and figuring I'd be better off losing this fight. You know, but it's interesting when I talked to him uh, before this fight and kind of asking him those questions about, hey, what did you learn from this whole situation? And it, basically it seemed like what he had learned is, hey, these are MMA contracts and there aren't enough MMA companies to around to offer you enough different contracts. So you're basically going to get screwed. Um, so, uh, you know, try and get as as least screwed as you can and then move on with it, which seems like at first just a really depressing way uh, to look at it from a fighter's standpoint, but then also maybe a just cold-eyed, realistic way to look at it. Yeah, and sad, right? Like, <laughs> Yes, also sad. <laughs> Eddie Alvarez came around to the realization... Man, you're just going to get fucked. <laughs> uh, all right, well, let's do uh, Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to uh, to round number two. Ben, what's, what's, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me for this week? Well, Chad, I'm sorry I'd have to do this. I know this is not going to be a popular Are You Fucking Kidding Me with what, you. Not popular with me? Yeah. I got I to gotta send it out to your boy, Roger Nog. What? Yeah. Uh, I mean, man, how are you going to accept a fight with Alexander Gustafson? Shit gets announced. I mean, I saw it announced on, uh, you know, my employer's website, MMA Junkie, on October 26th, right? Then, I believe, November 1st, so it's at like six days later, I read on the same website that he's out, out with a back injury. How are you, and the fight's like five months away. How are you going to pull out of a fight six days after accepting it for a fight that's five months away. If you're that hurt and you obviously know that you are that hurt, that there's just no way you'll be able to compete five months from now. And you figured it out six days. It's not like you had a training injury. Like when your your camp is at full steam or something like you're not even in camp really at that point. If you know that you're that bad off, a don't accept a fight and B retire should probably quit fighting if that's how you have to be. You fucking kidding me, Roger Nog? Are you fucking kidding me? Well, I mean, come on, man. The the, the Nog brothers have been doing some hard living. 
Like those <laughs> hey, guys no one's have, disputing that. Those guys have been having, they've been in professional mixed martial arts fights since they were like four years old. No, no one is disputing that. I'm just saying, out of fairness to, to Lusty Gusty, if you can't do it, man, don't, don't raise your hand and say, I'll do it. Fucking kidding me. I mean, I sort of understand as a dude, though, I sort of understand the mindset. And I suspect you do, too, where you're like, well, I signed this fight. Better go get the back checked out. Better make a doctor's appointment. Where's my doctor's number? God damn it. (laughs) Okay, fair point. Anyway, Ben, you mentioned it earlier in this in this round. But my are you fucking kidding me this week has to do with those weird Frank Shamrock backstage interviews on the Bellator card this week, as if we didn't know that. Right before someone is about to go out and fight somebody else wouldn't be the worst possible time to try to engage them in a scintillating conversation uh, fit for air on television. It looked terrible almost every time Bellator tried to do it, not only because I think we all know that Frank Shamrock is going to do a really awkward job, but also because MMA fighters aren't the most exciting dudes Anyway, generally, you get them like when they're in this zone, when they're about to go out and fight somebody, you're either going to get like Pat Curran doing a monotone or you're going to get King Mo constantly repeating over and over again that we're cutting into his ring time, which a is bullshit because you know that they scheduled these interviews in advance, right? (laughs) It's not like they just they they were like, all right, well, let's try to squeeze this in. Like, yeah, we're doing TV here. Wait, Maybe they had to tell Mo like, look, man, you got to do the interview. You can't get out there until you do the interview. I, I mean, I guess that's what it seemed like. He was mad that we were cutting into his ring time, except then he went out there and and had a fight with Emmanuel Newton, where by the time it was over, both those dudes were wishing somebody would cut into their ring time. They were both Ooh. wishing Frank Shamrock would come out and, and call a halt to the action. <laughs> You're fucking kidding me, Bellator, with these weird backstage interviews? Fucking kidding me. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, Wednesday night, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, the MGM Grand of the South, as it's often referred to, will play host to the USC's Fight for the Troops event, where basically, if you ever served in the U.S. military or were in the National Guard or did Army ROTC in high school, and you fight for the UFC, you're going to be called into action tonight to beat up a Brazilian or a Canadian or something. So on a scale of, you know, t- one to ten, one being uh, merely very stoked, and ten being, oh my god, my face is gonna melt off, stoked. How excited are you for this fight card? Well, you know, if you got a big fight card, you put it on Wednesday night, exactly. And if, if In you, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, you know, if it's gonna be a big deal, you got to go to Fort Campbell to do got it because two. that is where the A list shit happens. I'd say a two. I'm probably a two on a scale yeah. of one to ten. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but you know, the, like, the truth is, man, you look at this card, and for a Wednesday night, Fox Sports 1, Fight for the Troops, it ain't that bad. Like, there's some stuff on here that, that is probably Going on worth, the poster. Probably. <laughs> the media said it ain't that bad. Uh, there's some stuff that, that, uh, that's probably worth watching and some guys and, and, and women that we've heard of on this card, which is, which is always a plus. Uh, I guess the thing that, that 
stands out to me most about Fight for the Troops 3 is like, man, why Tim Kennedy always getting fucked? Like, it's Tim Kennedy just can't win. And you talk about a dude that uh, seems like one of the nicer guys around, clearly, like, has a good sense of humor, doesn't take himself too seriously, served our country, uh, uh, solid fighter, tough guy, a guy who throughout his entire career, it seemed like, even though he hasn't really been a, a, a title contender except down in Strike Force, uh, nobody has wanted to fight him which I think kind of says a lot it about does. the kind of guy that he is. And it seems like every time uh, he gets set up with a fight that could potentially be like a big break breakthrough fight for him, either, you know, somebody drops out with an injury or, uh, uh, you know, I guess back in Strike Force, the problem was they couldn't, he couldn't just find the guy a fight to begin with. Yeah. Uh, and that's what happened here with Leota Machida, where uh, Machida ha- uh, got promoted to go fight Mark Munoz after uh, Michael Bisping had to drop out of their fight with an eye injury. It just seems like Tim Kennedy uh, is the last domino in the line somehow. Like, he always just kind of takes the short end, which well, is too bad. Well, I feel like you could look at this one two ways. Uh, Rafael Natal is an easier fight for Tim Kennedy, I think, than Leona Machida would have been. I think Leona well, yeah. Leo Machida, is a, that, that was going to be a tough fight for Tim Kennedy. Uh you know, a big one for the troops. The troops at Fort Campbell were going to really get a show out of that one, I think. Uh, but a lot more high-risk operation there for Tim Kennedy. Um, but you're right. Like, it goes from being a fight where if you win it, boom, you're instantly on the map. And if you lose it, it's not the end of the world. To being a fight where, man, you kind of got to win this one. You know, especially with, you got to think maybe Tim Kennedy's might not still be on the, the firmest of ground with the UFC, which was last seen getting pissed off at him about his complaints over fighter pay. Uh, so, you know, they put you out front in, in Fort Campbell uh, against uh, Rafael Natal. You better win. Well, yeah, of course you better win. But I also don't think that, that Tim Kennedy probably thinks about it that way. Uh, oh, no? Well, I mean, he probably thinks about the fact that he better win. But, like, I don't think Tim Kennedy was staring down the barrel of a fight with Leota Machida and was like, oh, I hope they give me someone easier. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, no, know, uh, Like, definitely. if you're Tim Kennedy, you're 34 years old. You've had 20 MMA fights. You're you're sort of a middle-of-the-pack guy. Man, you want to fight Leota Machida because that could be your 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 uh, your breakthrough. That could, That's your big spot, your big opportunity. And, and none of these guys go into their fights thinking they're going to lose. So uh, if you're Tim Kennedy at this point, I guess you take Rafael Nadal. Tall. You take the main event spot on Fox Sports 1. You take the fact that you're going to be performing in front of the troops at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, where I think Kimbo has a boxing match there the week after this or something like that. Uh, uh, and, and those are all good things. And at the same time, if you're Tim Kennedy, you go out and you beat Rafael Natal. Where are you on Monday? Still, this is pretty much the same place you were pretty much. Friday before. Pretty much. It still would not be unreasonable to have you fight a guy on Leota Machida's level. I guess I should have said, where are you on Friday? Or Thursday? Yeah. Thursday morning? Hard to, hard to keep track of these Wednesday Wednesday fight cards. Yeah, I, I'm sad to see what it's doing to you. But, you know, I, I, you're right that uh, when you look at it and, you know, not, not a bad little fight card for Wednesday night. And especially le- helping to, to promote, you got an event on Saturday and then an event the following weekend. I do kind of like this system, especially... Hey, how about this? Now that we have a fight in North America for one of these Wednesday night things, it's not just a bunch of Brazilian dudes I've never heard of. You know, uh, it's 
like names we actually know. Like you look at that main card and there are some good fighters on there. And even if you look at the the preliminary card, which is also, of course, on the same network as the main card, which then, you know, makes you ask some difficult questions about the difference between the main card and the prelims. But, you know, you got guys like uh, James Krause and Dennis Bermudez on there. So uh, this seems like the quality of thing where, hey, I'm going to get excited about watching that on a Wednesday night. I mean, for God's sakes, Eve Edwards is on the online prelims. Shit. Yeah, I guess the difference between the prelims and the main guard is that the prelims there while everybody's still at work. There you go. Which well, is people obviously who have real jobs. not a problem not for us. us. Yeah. For us, it's sort of like, oh man, three o'clock or so, get a check out from whatever I'm doing, pop some popcorn. There you go. Watch the watch the fight for the troops. Watch uh, Jermaine de Rada me. Well, and, feel like I nailed that one. Yeah. Uh, fighting the man. Jermaine de Ronda me. That's a, one where there's going to be at least three different pronunciations during the fight. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel that bad about not being able to pronounce her name since I assume the people on TV won't be able to do it either. Uh, but, but you know, once you start getting into the thick of things here, not bad. You got my guy Rustam Hobbelov taking on uh, Game Bread, Jorge Masvidal. Yeah, that's, that's a good fight. I'm not going to argue with that. No, you're Liz not. Carmouche coming off uh, you know, two fights ago. She had that performance where she damn near cracked Ronda Rousey's face in half. Almost won the uh, the women's bantamweight championship there in the UFC, and then rebounded from that one and 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 got a win uh, in her next appearance, and now comes into face Alexis Davis, which is a, a fight I won't mind watching at all. Yes, yeah, I mean, and that's the kind of thing where I think that this Wednesday night. Fox Sports 1 that can really take off if you're willing to commit that level of fighter to it every single time out where, you know, yes, it's Wednesday night on free TV, so it's not, it doesn't have that same buzz weeks out that, that a pay-per-view does, but fine, man, you're throwing on like really solid fights on a Wednesday night. Uh, and yes, some people are actually going to have to work and miss the, the prelims, uh, but that's the kind of thing where I think that that is where your the number of shows actually starts to help you rather than hurt you if you're the UFC. And I think that's been a problem for the UFC when you have these dates on the calendar and you just have to fill them with somebody, just warm bodies. Hey, uh, we're in Brazil. Are you Brazilian? Good, you're on this fight card kind of thing. Where now like it actually gets people uh, to sit down and, and watch this because, hell, it's on TV and it's Wednesday night, so what the hell else are you doing? Uh, and... You know, you find out about the rest of the stuff that the UFC's got going on, and don't don't kid yourself that you will not see at least seven hundred advertisements for uh, the the upcoming both the the fight night with Belfort and Henderson on Saturday, and especially the pay per view with GSP and Johnny Hendricks. Seven to eight hundred advertisements, I feel, is, is kind of in the range. Sometimes it feels like they have to do these American events to like maintain their residency or something. Like, <laughs> For tax like, reasons. Yes, the federal government is going to start to consider the UFC a Brazilian company if they don't <laughs> do one fight uh, a month in, in some place like Fort, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Uh, another thing you might see on these Fight for the Troops card is a, is a lot of brain injuries. Because uh, oh, remember the, the right. first one that they did was like the most violent and, and brutal card of all right. time. And I believe that one also, uh, ironically, was to like the proceeds were going to traumatic brain injury research, right? Right. Yeah. One of the more awkward uh, uh, partnerships in the company's history. Yeah. Uh, even more awkward than corn nuts. 
Uh, <laughs> the the only nuts with the with kernels nutty enough to be in the octagon, big enough testicles to be in the octagon. Yeah. So I think that's the end. Corn nuts, you go ahead and cut the check to the co-main event podcast for that little <laughs> shout out. Here's what I wonder though: when we're going to be sitting here watching uh, these fights and the seven to eight hundred advertisements for GSP and Johnny Hendricks. Do you still show the ad where you burn the shit out of Johnny Hendricks's back and we all know it? Can you still do that? You spent the if money I'm Johnny on Hendricks. I'm calling him to make sure they show it because I don't <laughs> want to think that I was burned in vain. You know, I would like to, I would like to think that, that I, I, you were burned for a damn good reason. That God put that burn in front of me for a reason. <laughs> uh, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so yeah, fight for the troops on Wednesday night. You got anything else you want to say about fight for the troops? Is there, is there any of these fights that you're looking forward to any of these people on the card that, that, that you especially want to see? No. Yeah. Me either. I mean, none, none of it is bad. Like Michael Chiesa, Colton Smith. Uh, I, no. I'll watch that. You know, and I do think you mentioned, uh, game bread or a Masvidal against, uh, Rustam hobby love. Uh, I, I think that there's no way that's not an awesome fight. Right. I mean, that's the, if I had to do the thing where, you know, like an old lady at the grocery store where I'm taking out my checkbook and, and, and filling it out beforehand so that then when they ring up the total, I can quickly like pen it in there. If I have to do that thing with the fight of the night bonus check, I start making it out to those guys just because, just because I have a feeling. I like the way that the, the implicit in, assumption in your example there was that an old lady would get her check ready before all of her groceries had been bagged. Well, She's Not the ones I'm standing behind in line. No. Well, come on, where, where are you going? Where people are really writing that that many checks? Maybe on the north side here. I, I swear to God, every that. time I go to the to the store, I end up behind an old lady, and she's digging her checkbook out. That's what you get for going to the store during the like at 11 a.m. on a weekday when regular people are at work. Yeah, yeah. Well. Before we wrap up round number two, Ben, uh, I know that we've both got tips for the well-rounded fight fan this week. Uh, this week, obviously, my tip for the well-rounded fight fan is entirely self-serving. Of course. Uh, on, on this past Friday, on November 1st, I had a, a short story, The Rightful King of Wrestling, published in a noir fiction uh, journal called Thug Lit. Thug Lit what? What, what? Which, frankly, when you find out that there is a, uh, a fiction magazine called Thug Lit, I don't know how you don't submit a story to it, just in case you get published, because then for the rest of your life, in your bio, you can say... My story has appeared in Thug Lit. That's right. No one can ever take that away from you. That's right. So you that's do have how to get that tattoo, though, now. <laughs> Thug Lit, issue eight. Uh, it's available on Amazon. You can get it for 99 cents. Uh, put it on your Kindle. I can vouch for the quality of my short story. It's awesome. I cannot vouch for the quality of any of the other stories because I have not read them yet. Uh, but, uh, you know, 99 cents, man. Not that big of a deal. You should get it and read it. You should. I actually, even though I have read the story several times, in fact, uh, I paid the 99 cents to get it. I missed the part, though, where you thanked me for all my help in uh, my, my helpful advice on the story. Yeah, we didn't really get acknowledgments for this one. Or just verbally right now, if you were to say thank you, Ben Folks, for all your help with my story. You know what? It's implied. You don't have to. It's implied. Uh, my tips for the well-rounded fight fan this week uh, is a novel, uh, a novel by the name of Flashman uh, or Flashman. It's a, a novel by George McDonald Frazier, uh, and it is hilarious and awesome and will probably, if you like it, make you suspect that you might be a bad person because uh, it's about a fictional like British military hero of the 19th century 
who then later in life is kind of writing his memoir. And so far, it just sounds scintillating. <laughs> and basically, his memoir is all about what an awful person he is and a coward and a bully and just a dude without a conscience uh, and a sociopath and how this has allowed him to not only succeed in life but to rise to a pretty prominent rank in the British military. Uh, and it's just hilarious and somehow like makes you actually like Flashman even as he is like, you know, beating slaves and committing rapes. It's kind of a literary accomplishment in that, that sense. And then once you reflect on what you're actually giggling at and reading, you're like, oh, God, well, if I wasn't already going to hell, this pretty much solves it. So that's what I recommend is Flashman. If you don't like it, congratulations, you're probably a good person. Uh, the rest of you who are more likely to be CME listeners will just find it really hilarious and awesome. Well, there you go. Uh, tips for the well-rounded fight fan this week. We'll get those posted on the website, comainevent.com. This week, you can go there with uh, links to where you can buy uh, both of those things. As for right now, we're going to wrap up round number two, and we're going to get started with round number three. Well, Ben, Vitor Belfort and Dan Henderson headline this weekend's Ultimate Fight Night 32 show live from Brazil. Uh, and aside from the fact that this is two middleweight contenders fighting at light heavyweight, uh, I think it's going to be a, a pretty fun fight, actually. It shapes up as as either a fight where there's going to be fireworks or a fight where both guys are going to get super tired. <laughs> you know, I know that the first time when you heard that this was two middleweights fighting at light heavyweight, you seem kind of despondent. You, well, as I recall, now? I found out on the air of yeah. the co-main event podcast. Yeah, right? and you you were not pleased. Well, it, it just never crossed my mind that Vitor Belfort and Dan Henderson would fight each other at 205. Why would it, they do that? It doesn't Brazil, make any sense. man. It's Brazil. See, all that's right? the thing. It's like a casual, nobody wants to cut weight kind of thing that just doesn't make any sense. You know, Brazil is the casual Fridays of the MMA world. You go down there, man, you don't have to worry about all this cutting weight and not using testosterone stuff. We're just here to have a good time, drink some coconut water and give each other concussions, man. All right. Well, before we talk about whether or not somebody's going to get knocked out super fast or whether both these guys are going to get really, really high on the Coleman index, uh, I know that you wrote about it uh, today, actually, on MMA Junkie. Uh, Vitor Belfort, obviously, as to be expected, said some sort of nonsensical and borderline uh, damning things about his use of testosterone replacement therapy. I suppose this is the obligatory part of our podcast where we talk about TRT wouldn't be the show without it. Uh, why don't you uh, lead us through what Vitor Belfort did this week to, uh, I guess it seems like put his foot in his mouth on the whole TRT issue. Yeah, you know, I'm getting tired of this. I'm getting tired of writing these damn articles. And if you're getting tired of it, imagine how the normal people I feel. I know. I know. The people are like, oh, you'll, the only thing you do is write articles about TRT. God damn it. I wish that wasn't the case. I'd much rather write about something else. I'm just fucking sick of it. But yeah, the thing with uh, Vitor this time, and uh, you know, it was an interview with a Brazilian uh, website or Brazilian media outlet that was then translated. Uh, he probably thought they were keeping it casual. You know, yeah, say whatever was you want. Right. Yeah, I thought you could just just say. Uh, and you know, 
he apparently where he starts talking about his TRT use for one thing, he says he's been doing it for three years and you don't know exactly. I don't know if he gave like a, a firm date on that or if he was just saying like, you know, maybe rounding up to three years or something. Uh, but if he actually meant like literally three years, then it would mean that he was on it for his title fight with Anderson Silva in Las Vegas. I asked Keith Kaiser if, you know, he had disclosed anything to them, uh, and he said no. The Nevada State Athletic Commission, as far as it knew, did not know that Vitor Belfort was on testosterone then, if in fact he was. Uh, and when I asked, well, hey, is that the kind of thing that could could come up if the dude tries to get a license to fight in Nevada? Uh, I basically said, yeah, anything he says or does could come up. So uh, you would hope that if Vitor Belfort ever is in a situation where he's trying to fight in Las Vegas – uh, you know, for a UFC title or not, uh, the Nevada State Athletic Commission would take that opportunity to be like, hey, wait, did you earlier admit to fighting in our jurisdiction with a banned substance in your system and no uh, permission from anybody to use it or disclosure that you were using it? Because that's going to be a problem for us. Uh, but also the the weirder thing he said in that interview was that, hey, if they offered him a title fight and said you need to get off to testosterone replacement therapy to kind of open up, you know, your where you can fight and where we can have that title fight, that he would do it. Uh, and which he referred to as he would be fighting at a disadvantage, but he would do it in order to get the title fight. If you say that, then you're basically telling us that you don't really need it. You want it. And as long as you feel like you can get away with it within the rules, then boom, you're going to do that. But hey, if a better deal comes along, if somebody offers you something where, you know, there's a chance for a career advancement or make more money, then you'll go ahead and get off of it, at least for the time being. Yeah, I call that pulling the Marquardt, uh, because remember when, when Nate Marquardt, who was really sort of the first guy who brought this stuff to our attention, uh, when he got busted and pulled off that UFC card and subsequently released from the company before he had to go to Strike Force to reinvent himself, lose his title, come back to the UFC. You know the story. Uh, but for when he, when he first got busted for being on testosterone replacement therapy, he went on, uh, uh, Ariel Helwani's show and did this whole thing about like how he needed it. His doctor had prescribed it and like he thought that it saved his marriage because he'd been so grumpy with his low testosterone and like, uh, he, he, he really I must be suffering from low testosterone. I'm yeah. Grumpy. You've been suffering from low testosterone as long as I've known you. <laughs> uh, that, that, that it was, you know, he, he, he really credited it for a lot of things in his life. And then as soon as it sort of became an, uh, uh, a public relations issue for him a few years later, he was like, Oh yeah, no, I'm not doing that anymore. I found something else and it's 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 helped me out just as much smoothies yes you put a you put a banana in there and you get like a little bit of uh uh blueberries and boom testosterone just fucking skyrockets it, man it all contributes to the idea like as i said to you at our friend's halloween party this past weekend uh the more that we hear about testosterone replacement therapy the less legitimate it seems which then i saw you went and used as your lead uh in your mma junkie story I don't, so wait a minute I don't as far you as that. you getting a thank you for helping me out oh, now you're just gonna take credit for, there it for is whatever. there's huh? your thank you the wow. next time you need to to write a lead over on one of your stories give me a call and i will bust one out for you Man, I first of all that that is that's some revisionist history well, I'm there. Pretty sure that's how it went down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would love to. I'm imagining how you remember this entire party going down now, and it's it's hilarious to you me. You were dressed as Colonel Sanders. I remember every minute of this party. <laughs> You're like, yeah, well, there I was. Just uh, I was 
I had just finished doing a thousand push-ups for the entertainment of all, and I, I popped right back up to my feet, and I said, "Hey, Ben Volks, there's a line that you can use in a story tomorrow." Uh, well, the push-up thing didn't happen, but the thing—the <laughs> thing about the line actually totally did. Uh, anyway, so Vitor Belfort, let's talk about this actual fight because, it, it, like I said at the top of the round, it could be fun. It could also be one where uh, everybody gets super tired and kind of decides, "Oh, fuck it," by by the third round or so. Um, Vitor Belfort obviously comes in off back-to-back wins. One of which was his stupendous, uh, yet we're led to believe totally legitimate spinning back kick straight to the face of Luke Rockhold. Uh, Dan Henderson comes in off back to back losses. Uh, both guys are guys who have knockout power. What happens here? Which which one of these guys is getting knocked out? If if anyone, you know, one thing I guess as we might as well talk about it though is that. Here's one where you got to wonder, is Dan Henderson going to be back on the TRT? Right. No, you're right. Yeah, because we, you say that he comes out of back-to-back losses. Last one he fought in Winnipeg, he was off the TRT. Right, yeah, and which I guess I should have brought up on the, uh, didn't on the topic like a, of pulling a Marquardt. Didn't seem like a decrepit old man when we saw him fight in Winnipeg. I mean, again, he, he didn't win that one, and it wasn't a particularly exciting fight. But, uh, you know, that one looked reasonably like Dan Henderson. Now, if they both show up looking super jacked and just run at each other like a couple of bucks out in the forest clashing antlers, then we might all have a weird feeling about it. This one, though, I just can't believe it's going to end up like either of Henderson's last fights, which were really just kind of like a careful, tactical, both guys waiting around for the other guy to open up so that they could strike kind of moments. Uh, the fights we've seen Vitor Belfort have lately just don't indicate that that's going to be the case. Uh, this is the the kind where if it goes more than two rounds, I'd be surprised. Yeah, well, and the thing is, like, Dan Henderson is uh, obviously most dangerous when he gets the chance to land that H-bomb. Yo, Moro Ronaldo and Nickel. I know. Uh, and, and seems to perform best in fights where dudes come sprinting out of their corner and engage him in a huge slugfest, a la Fedor Emelianenko. Uh, but Vitor's pretty good in, in those situations as well, and is clearly going to come out in this fight and, and probably try to do physical damage to Dan Henderson's face with his fists and or his legs. Uh, so to me, it, it, it seems like kind of a, a, an exciting little matchup of styles because I feel like we're going we're gonna to probably see some fireworks uh, you know, right off the right out of the gate, which you have to think, at least I would think, would favor Vitor because you look at him throughout his career. If it's a fight that's three minutes or less, uh, he's a damn killer. If it's a fight that goes into the third round or into championship rounds, he might have some problems. And there's one where if you're trying to tell Dan Henderson what you think his best chance, like tactically, of going out there and winning the fight is, you'd want him to spend the first couple rounds. Taking Vitor down, you know, doing doing a little body body head out of the guy's guard, doing his thing where he puts his hand over your mouth, you know, which seems just like you know not terribly gentlemanly, mm-hmm. uh, big brother stuff. Yeah, doing his big brother stuff. That's what you would tell Dan Henderson to do, I would think, and wait till you get into the the third round or something, which is often the time when Vitor starts to get that look like, well, I guess I'm not gonna win tonight, uh, and then that's when you want to open up and load up on that H-bomb. But then, I don't know, Dan Henderson seems like, at least lately, he hasn't been terribly concerned with what's like tactically the best move. He kind of just wants to go out there and, and just, just wing those punches uh, because he's gotten so much fan love for it that way. Maybe he's kind of just got that in his head that, hey, this is how people expect Dan Henderson to fight. Right, and it could be a bad idea, especially now that Vitor Belfort 
appears to have regained the speed and explosiveness of his 19 year old self. Uh, so you, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what, what Dan Henderson tries to do here. Here's my real question about this fight. What does it mean? Because as we talked about, at the top of the round, essentially what you have are two guys who could be middleweight contenders fighting each other at 205 pounds because we assume neither of them wants to cut the weight. They've both sort of turned their nose up at middleweight. Vitor said he won't go back there unless he gets a title shot. Dan Henderson has sort of said the same thing. Uh, Madness, by the way. Madness. Right, yeah. Either you're middleweight or you're not. At- That's how you get a title shot is by beating motherfuckers up in middleweight. Right, so like, what do you think this fight means if anything? Because, you know, Vitor uh, has already lost to both Anderson Silva and John Jones, so for him to come out of this thing with a win doesn't seem like he's going to get another shot at either of those guys. Obviously, Dan Henderson has also uh, lost to Anderson Silva, but uh, uh, was supposed to fight John Jones back at UFC 151, and I think we all know what happened there. Are we just waiting around to see what happens in the Anderson Silva-Chris Wide and rematch before we can figure out what happens with these guys or is anything actually at stake when these guys fight you know that is a good point because it seems like if chris weedman stays the champ then you it opens up your your, your possibilities at middleweight weidman oh, oh, oh. Can, is, we, can we both just say weidman he actually was in uh where was it toronto or yeah i think the last one was in toronto that i was at where he was there talking to the media and scrum and he was saying that how somebody had told him maybe it was really pronounced weedman what? He was confused on the matter. No. He was. No. I'm not I didn't take four years of German to say Chris Weedman. I'm saying Chris Weidman. <laughs> fine. Fine. Chris Weidman. Uh if he's if he remains the champion, beats Anderson Silva again, then hey, you can you can do almost anything. You got a Leota Machida hanging around now at middleweight. Uh, maybe Vitor Belfort, if you can get his whole hormonal situation figured out and where the fight's gonna take place. Because obviously I don't know how the UFC even with Dana White's ability to to spin a story, could possibly justify making Weidman uh, go down to Brazil to fight Vitor Belfort and then be like, what? Globo likes him. Oh, I got to do it. There are partners down there. You can't do that. You know, but if Anderson Silva regains the title and doesn't, you know, immediately retire, sticks around with that title for a while. Yeah, that does. uh That does put you back in some, some tough situations for figuring out how you're going to do that. I, if you're Vitor at this point, I guess he's figuring like that, hey, I can keep fighting and keep making money and that if I lose at light heavyweight, it's like a mulligan. I don't know what he's thinking there. Yeah, I guess, I guess that would be a line of reasoning if you weren't fighting a middleweight. Exactly. You know, when you say his hormonal situation, it makes me feel like he's just like an awkward teen. Like there's an awkward teen who <laughs> or, fights in the UFC. Or a menopausal woman. <laughs> All right, well, let's do Just Saying Stuff, and uh, then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, uh, this week, my, I'm just saying, if Rampage Jackson wanted to send us the message that he didn't actually watch this weekend's Bellator fight card, he did an awfully good job. I think, you know, in the week leading up to the card, he sent out that tweet to reassure everyone that, hey, man, his reality show had been preempted because there was some kind of live fight show on Spike TV this weekend or something like that. But for us not to worry because his his show will be back the week after. 
Yeah, exactly. And then during the fights, you could actually see both he and Tito Ortiz on your TV at the same time for most of the fight card when it appeared that for almost the entire three and a half hours, Rampage Jackson was staring at his phone. Uh, and then playing with the phones near the end of the fight card, he sends out a tweet that says, this is one of the best fight cards I've seen in a long time. Well, so maybe he's, he was, he'd seen the first fight on the main card and he was writing the tweet. But like his, you know, he got like big thumbs or something. So he kept messing it up and it just took him a really long time to finish up that tweet. Maybe that's why he was looking at the phone the whole time. I'm just saying, I don't think Quentin Jackson watched this, this show, man. <laughs> I don't think he saw it. Just saying. Just saying. Well, Chad, my just saying is also related to Bellator, uh, which as we heard from our friends on the West Coast was delayed an hour then. That still happens? It still happens apparently. That's weird because it was live here in Montana. Well, we live in the one true time zone, That's true. so we have that going for us. But for instance, uh, when talking with, uh, with, with Danny Downs, he, he now lives in San Diego, uh, and said, figure it out, wait a minute, cops is on, not Bellator. If I want to watch it live, then I got to go find some on- weird online stream that's going to fill your computer with a bunch of viruses. Now, in some other situations, I might understand this. That, hey, you're dealing with a TV partner and you don't always get to call your own shots like we were talking about with Fox Sports. But, uh, you know, Viacom, which owns Spike TV, owns a majority stake in Bellator. Bellator is its own fight promotion, basically. And I'm just saying that if you're a TV network, couldn't you just make sure that your own fight promotion got to run live everywhere? I mean, is it really necessary that we get to watch, you know, some cop in Cincinnati roust a drunk homeless man for the 99th time? Yes. <laughs> yes, it's necessary. I'm just saying, show the shit live all over the place. You know people are going to get mad at you. Just saying. Just saying. They, but they found the methamphetamine in the guy's sock in the episode of Cops that immediately preceded this Bellator. Oh, you don't say. Yeah. Wow. So it's always the last place you look, you know? <laughs> exactly. Because fight cards need more depressing lead-ins. Anyway, that's going to do it uh, this week for the Co-Main Event Podcast. We'll be back next week. We'll talk about all the stuff that went down at Fight for the Troops 3 and uh, Ultimate Fight Night 32. Maybe we'll even look ahead to uh, George St. Pierre and Johnny Hendricks or whatever the hell's going on a week from now. Uh, but as for right now, we're done. We're through. We're out. Do you think when that homeless guy showed up in jail and was like, oh, man, they found my meth. The other, like, homeless meth addicts in jail were like, oh, what, man? Did you not hide it in your sock? Oh, you did? Oh, well, hey, man, I'm fresh out of ideas, man. Dealing with some clothes out there, man. <laughs>